Hey everybody, welcome to the John Topovich show. I am doing a Facebook room edition uh, because my guest today, uh, Ted Spielman, he is a IT consultant that is coming to us right now from San Francisco. So I'm obviously in Seattle and through the magical power of the internet, we are still talking to each other. So hey, Ted, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, John. It's a Exciting to be talking to you about what I do, um, hopefully demystifying it for some of my friends, too. So, yeah, what it, what is it that you do? <laughs> so, <laughs> that's a good question. So, uh, my official job title is uh, account executive at a company called SoftChoice. Um, so, what we do is we help our customers kind of navigate the world of technology, um, our customers typically being um, within the IT part of an organization. Um, so I'm primarily primarily working with uh, mid-market to enterprise customers um, and help them helping them navigate trends, um, licensing models, uh, contracts, um, and helping them kind of stay one step ahead of the curve and keeping their their IT environments running. Okay. And how d- how did you get into this? It sounds, you know, it doesn't sound like something that like maybe you would have gone to school for specifically. No, I, I went. So I went to Seattle U, and I was in the or the business school there. So um, it just kind of came about. I I had just left my old job, um, and I was looking for a, a new gig uh, when I was in Seattle. And this kind of came this came across. I was working with a recruiter, um, and just kind of took a chance on it. I heard a lot of good things about the culture and the people that work there. Um, so I interviewed and I got the job, and I've been there for a little over three and a half years. But it was just kind of an accident, uh, and it turned out to be something I, I ended up being super passionate about and um you know i love the the customers i work with i love the technology that we we sell and the things we do um and just love the industry as a whole so it's uh kind of now turned into a uh we know what i want to do for the rest of my career working in it and technology Mm. and you loved it enough that you were willing to relocate to san francisco has has that been something that you have um preferred over seattle or is it just like a pros and cons thing like i mean it's a that's uh i'm still kind of figuring that out you know right now it's still i'm still very much in the honeymoon phase i think with the with the city i've been here down for a year okay um and i, and I absolutely love it um and you know just night and day i'll go back up to seattle and be like i'm ready to go back to san francisco but um i actually just spent the summer up in up in washington with with friends and family and stuff just since we're everyone's working remote right now um took that opportunity to get away and it it was nice to go back but um you know i'm happy to be back in the city yeah i i enjoyed my time visiting san francisco i think it's a very vibrant city with lots of Mm. things to do and lots of really interesting people um not without its problems just like seattle (laughs) but (laughs) um but yeah it's exciting to be in a place where so many uh tech startups are and um people that are very intelligent trying to uh make things happen so i get yeah it's a lot of it's a lot of really smart and driven people um a lot of people who are, you know, really wanting to make the most out of their careers and things like that. So it's it's fun to just be it's fun to be in a city where everyone is is going 110 percent all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, everything moves pretty quick. People move pretty quick, and um, 
so it's it's a lot of fun. You meet a lot of really interesting people, and it's like, well, I'm starting a startup doing this and this and that, and uh, just a lot more than you see in Seattle. So it's it's been an interesting, I guess, an interesting adjustment, um, at least from from pace, but also just kind of the people you meet on a day to day basis. Mm. 110% though, it sounds exhausting. Like, maybe like short term, like I've worked in roles like, um, like full disclosure, like I used to work uh, for Microsoft and I, the specific role that I was in, um, you know, there were some weeks where we would put in 80 to 100 hours a week and it was like a schedule that like I accepted as like a like a pay my dues schedule. Like I'm going mm-hmm. to like make a good impression here, but like, I don't know. I feel like it can be exhausting to keep that up, keep that up long term. What's your schedule like? Uh, I mean, it's it's a. I work when my customers are working, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people, the, the companies I'm working with, and and, and things like that. So it kind of depends on um, what's going on with with them and what they need and what they're kind of what we're working on together. So. Um, you know, some days I'll, I'll get a few emails from customers. I'm mostly just working on other things or, or contacting them and, and, and chatting with them. And then some days I'm, you know, up at, at 7 a.m. with uh, something that's going on and, and, you know, I'm not done working for the day until it's complete. So um, I'm very much on their time. Um, it's hard to, you know, it's not something I can I can grind away um, through the night because I am, you know, there are business hours and working hours. But, um I'll see pockets outside of that, but I'm not usually working on, on weekends or anything like that, which is nice and uh, a little bit different than I know some of the people in the city. Yeah. Well, what is, is there like a typical day for you where there, I mean, I'm sure there are like um, certain like situations that happen occasionally, but like, what is it? What would you say for someone who has no familiarity with being an IT consultant? Like, what does that entail? Like, what are your, what are your role responsibilities and like how does that usually flow throughout the day? Yeah, so I mean it it, it, it definitely varies based on like I said what I have going on. Yeah. Um, for the most part so a lot of my job is is working in the field normally. Um, so I'm going on site and visiting with customers and, and, and things like that. So the ideal day would be um, uh, you know start my day off go into the office for a little bit. Um, and then head out to uh, a meeting like before lunch, um, and then usually a meeting in the afternoon as well, uh, and then just finding time to, to work and answer emails in between that and, and do kind of my normal day-to-day. Um, through as, as a result of working remote, though, um, that's a little different. So, I, you know, I'll have, I usually have meetings in the morning, um, and sometimes the, the days are pretty jam-packed from from start to finish with just meeting on meeting on meeting. So um, it's just, a, it's a lot of meetings, a lot of talking to customers on the phone or, or you know, within uh, Microsoft Teams or, or, you know, just conversing through email. So um, it, it, the, the typical day kind of varies a little bit and it's mostly based on what I have scheduled out and, and stuff like that. But it also gives me the freedom um, to do stuff like this too uh, and and be able to have a conversation with you and, and um, block out a, an hour or a couple hours in my day to, to chat. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's nice to have that kind of flexibility. Mm-hmm. You, could, you could work from the moon. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I made a joke to my boss at the beginning of uh, the beginning of working, you know, working remote. I was like, I think I'm going to go spend a little time with my family at some point. He's like, you can go to Mexico if you, if you want, like just do your work and get it done. Yeah. Um, 
And I mean, like, working for in the tech industry, the ability to work remote was already a possibility for pretty much everyone. And it just kind of came down to like the company culture, whether or not they allowed it. But I think COVID has kind of forced it, everyone to like re uh, take another look at, you know, the possibility of everyone being able to work remote no matter what industry you're in. And so like, I think um, where I, where I currently work, it's like, yeah, some people did it. Some people didn't. Um, and the, the attitude was kind of like, if you can come in, um, I don't know if that attitude is, is ever coming back because of COVID. I think now, I think a lot of people are getting a taste of what it's like to be able to like, uh, end a meeting and then like go play with their dog. <laughs> and they're like, Oh, like is, this is a, it's a tough sell to make me want to go back to the office now. Completely. And that's something that, um, you know, is one of the, the trends that we're seeing is a lot of people are either figuring out how they can work remote forever or, you know, trying to come to a consensus on when they can bring back people back into the office. Yeah. Um, planning for that. Like, for instance, we're out. Um, we have no plan to return to the office this year. Um, and then and they're going to reevaluate next year. But the, the kind of running thought process is, you know, when we find a vaccine or something like that, they'll kind of start reevaluating. You know, that's a that's a sliding scale, obviously, just since there, there's new developments and discoveries every day. So, you know, there's no, there's just nothing set in stone right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, we're really seeing that across the, across the industry too. Uh, and with the, the people I work with and the, the customers I work with and, and, and things like that too. So um, it's, that there's no answer to that. So I, you know, you might be right. <laughs> I don't think it'll ever be exactly the same as it was. Yeah. Hey, I, I don't know. Um, the, the vaccine, uh, is interesting to think about because like, I think a, I just heard, I think in the vice presidential debate last mm-hmm. night, was it two nights ago? They were saying, um, over 50% of Americans would not get the vaccine if it was r- available today, which is, that's pretty high. That actually surprised me. I was like, really? But then I don't know if that's like related to like, they think it's been fast tracked and it's not ready, but maybe by next year, more people will have confidence in it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I mean, I'd certainly have a little bit of um, reservations, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Like with something that, you know, it might have been fast tracked or, or or whatever, um, but I mean, I think as long as it was proven safe, yeah. uh, it would be a different conversation. But it's just in, until it's in front of me, I don't know how I'm gonna actually react to it. You know? Yeah, I feel it's like getting like the first edition of like a an iPhone or a PlayStation. It's like you get the first one, and you get all the bugs with it. Like, except it's your life. <laughs> PlayStation's not gonna kill me if it doesn't work too well. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think so. Um, well, okay. So, um, in relation to to COVID, um, how is that affecting? Um, you said that one of the things you said to me is that um, companies that you are offering services to, they're having to adapt to this new normal. What did you? What do you mean by that? So. Companies still trying to figure out a way, no matter what industry they're in, to keep their businesses going. Um, like I said, I'm working with you know mid-market to enterprise size customers, so it's you know people with a lot of money and a lot of 
uh, a lot of business and a lot of customers that they need to keep um, going as well. And so a lot of those companies are, are service, you know, they provide a service as well um, to keep more other companies or, or whatever afloat. So um, figuring out a way to make business still work while keeping people remote or dealing with uh, any of the kind of unforeseen financial re repercussions um, that could potentially be coming down the line. So one of my customers manufactures um, buses, right? Uh, electric buses. So they're trying to figure out a way to, you know, make sure that they can keep the manufacturing open uh, and then also um, make that as safe as possible, but also have um, their corporate staff still working remote um, and uh, just trying to adjust to those challenges of, of working outside of the office. Mm. So, I mean, you're, you're working remote right now. Um, it seems like, you know, to anyone that wasn't, I guess, watching how the sausage gets made like I am, it just seems like, oh, we have these new tools and they're working. But there's a lot of evaluation that goes into what tools they're, you know, your company's going to use, mm -hmm. how they're going to get there and what they're going to, how they're going to buy them. Um, and a lot of uncertainty, I guess, from this first started, whether if they didn't have a plan together already, um, figure out how to do that um, effectively to the point where you can still do all of your jobs um, remote. Can you give me an example of that? Like, are you saying... I'm, I mean, I'm trying to think in relation to where I work, like maybe like uh, they're trying to decide what team collaboration tool to use or something mm -hmm. like that. Sure. I, I mean, so there's a lot that goes on behind the scene of a lot of the IT stuff that you use on a daily basis that I don't think people really, you know, really know. So just even connecting to um, just connecting to your, I guess, your work environment through a VPN um, is, you know, a whole process that has a lot of, you know, other processes and trying to select the correct VPN for what you're doing um, and trying to select, you know, make sure that that works in your environment and all the security protocols are still working together um, when you have people remotely connecting into the, um, uh, to their home, their home servers and things like that too. So uh, there's just, there's a lot of both security concerns and technical challenges that, that go into making entire customer bases or user bases remote. Hmm. If, that, if that makes sense or, or answers that, I guess, a little bit. Oh, it does make sense. Yeah. So I guess I just have been taking it for granted because it's like out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. Right. It's like, hey, man, I just care that the light switch works. <laughs> right. Right. I don't want to know what's going on behind. I mean, I do. I am interested, but it's like I think in your day to day, you just like you flick it on. Right. Yeah. Like, does this work? Okay, it works. Does this not work? All right, I'm going to send a support ticket in. Yeah, for real. Um, so, tell me about, like, have there been any very memorable experiences that you've had working in this field that you could share with the viewers that are out there watching this that, that would make them... Uh, uh, interested in learning more about IT consulting. Maybe they're considering it as a career path. Or or maybe you have any tips for them of what what they should do. Yeah, I think if you're interested in it, there's tons of resources to um, explore and kind of things that are, are that at least get me excited about it. So I'm always learning about new stuff. 
Um, I have, you know, a few different blogs I read trying to stay in, in on top of the new, um, kind of the new latest and greatest. Um, I'm always on, on Reddit on the various, like, subreddits for IT professionals and things like that. So it's trying to learn what my customers are really into. I'd say my most memorable, like, kind of most memorable moment, uh, I'd been working with a customer for a few months. This is in when I was still in Seattle. Um, and we'd gotten to know them, I'd gotten to know them pretty well, and I, I went on site with them and, and really connected with them as people. Um, and they mentioned something about, uh, you know, they, they play Dungeons and Dragons as an IT team. I was like, oh, yeah, I love Dungeons and Dragons. And they're like, do you want to come play with us? So I ended up um, at the, the IT director's house every other Tuesday playing Dungeons and Dragons with him and the rest of his team. That's cool. Uh, and getting to know them. And, and it, was, it was great because it led to a good relationship um, both professionally and then outside of work as well. And um, it was just fun. You, you meet a lot of interesting people doing this job. Um, I think anywhere where you have a, a customer relationships and, and people that you're working with and they're trusting you with advice and, um, and guidance for what they're doing, um, uh, you know, with, with spending a lot of money on. Yeah. Um, Has that ever freaked you out? Yeah. Yeah. That you're like, oh man, the advice that I'm giving them is, you know, impacting the millions and millions of of dollars and spending. Like it's like a lot of responsibility. Yeah, you know, when I'm working with a customer and, and helping them get you know, uh dot the T's and cross the I's on like a, a million dollar Microsoft contract that I've helped them, you know, price out and, and guide them toward it, there's always that kind of nagging feeling in the back of your head like man I really hope that this is exactly what you guys need right now but yeah. I, I've been doing it long enough that I have a pretty good handle on that stuff and we do have a lot of resources within our organization to help um, uh, to help I guess guide that and, and double check that but it's not a, a one man show thankfully mm-hmm. um, there's always that, always that nagging feeling when you have enough when it's a big enough project or a big enough purchase um that you're always a little you're a little nervous going into it but um it's just confidence and knowing that that what you're doing is is the right thing Mm. for the customer where do you where do you see your career heading do you see yourself staying in this line of work um long term do you see yourself moving into something uh kind of similar or what what do you think for now, yeah, I'd, I'd really like to stick to doing what I'm doing. Um, there's part of me that wants to move into something a little more technical, you know, getting some more certifications um, with like cloud or, or you know, with either Azure or AWS or, or Google, um, and coming from a more like, I guess, like sales uh, engineer kind of perspective, mm-hmm. um, and helping people design stuff out in the cloud and, and kind of help them set up environments and things like that. Um, that's a long ways off, but right now I'm just, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing and the kind of relationships I'm building and, um, and the technology that we're selling as it, as it stands. That's awesome. And I think it's good to be in a position where you feel that way, where you're like, I'm good for now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a great place to be. Um, yeah. So Ted, like what do you, uh, want to communicate uh, out to viewers in this interview? Is there any like particular uh, topic that you'd like to touch on that like we haven't yet? Is there any particular message you want to communicate? 
I mean, I, I don't think there's any general message. I just think it's it was interesting to me moving into this field to learn. You know, I didn't know what I didn't know. And then learning learning more and more about what kind of goes on behind the scenes, um, that's what really made it interesting to me, um, kind of how, how all these things fit together within people's IT environments that have, make everything work within organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then take, taking that kind of the, the next logical step, how, how companies are dealing with um, remote work and kind of what some of the trends and things that we're seeing right now are. Um, I just think I think it's super interesting, and I know that um, I've talked to a few of my friends. I talked to a few of my friends about it, and they always think it's really interesting. So, um, thought I'd share it with the world. Yeah. Um, well, it's like, is there any other examples of like things that are going on behind the scenes that like the average uh, cubicle worker out there is like, oh, what? Like, I didn't know that <laughs> that you'd want to share, or I don't know. No, I mean it's. Uh, I think it's interesting, like how close to breaking everything always is. Oh, really? Right. That's scary. So, like, you never know. Like, <laughs> things are sometimes things are held together by duct tape, I guess. Mm. Uh, and you don't really notice it if you're just a, a frontline worker. But um, if you peel a couple of layers back, it's like, well, we have this situation. We have this like and this hack together that's like making this work. Like, we're we're only conf- we're only halfway confident that it's going to work, and you're not going to lose everything at any given moment. But um, it's just, it's super interesting to kind of like, uh, like I said, peel back the onion a little bit and see what's going on behind the scenes. That these companies are like more vulnerable than they seem like they would be. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's, you see glimpses of that, like when, uh, target, um, gets, you know, taken down, uh, through vulnerability in their, in their HVAC system. Um, or the casino. Wait, what is, wait, what happened to target? I didn't hear about this. This is a few years ago, but so target got hacked a few years ago, um, by a bad actor who got into their network by, um, getting in through, uh, like a unprotected, uh, Wi-Fi receptor in their HVAC system. Okay. So that goes into like the whole discussion of like Internet of Things and how anything that connects to the Internet is vulnerable. It could be exploited. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So there's another example of something similar. A casino had like a fish tank um, with a thermostat on it that, that connected to Wi-Fi uh, and someone was able to get in through their Wi-Fi um, and like hack into their system just because of one exposed like vulnerable port. What do these people tend to do once they uh, gain access to their network? What are they trying to do just to just to flex and be like hey, I did it to brag to their friends or like are they trying to like accomplish some kind of damage? So I mean, in the instance of Target, they took a bunch of like credit card records. Oh, that's not good. Yeah, personal data and stuff like that. So it's you know people who are 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 fishing for personal data, credit card numbers, and stuff like that to, to then turn around and sell on the dark web. Ooh. I wonder what the going rate is. I should look it up. <laughs> <laughs> what, 
what is what is my what is my identity worth? <laughs> yeah, this is just for research pur- purposes, FBI. I know that you listen through <laughs> through Facebook and all that, but I just I'm not, I mean I think the average person's pretty curious. Like, how much is my credit card information worth to like a you know what they should do i mean this is not really ethical or anything but like if they could somehow find out like okay we stole this credit card and we also know like what their occupation is and we can kind of like guess their credit limit (laughs) right and so it's like that credit card information that's stolen should be worth a little bit more than like someone who works makes minimum wage i guess right it's like (laughs) You won't believe this. I got a doctor today. Right, right, right. Like that should be worth a premium. Obviously, you're you're gonna be able to buy more with it. But I'm not advocate. I'm not advocating credit card fraud at all. Yeah. But to the, to the FBI guy watching this conversation, like yeah, it's all hypothetical. Yeah. Okay. So that's what happened with Target. What happened with the the fish tank at the casino? Which casino was it? Do you remember? I- I don't remember the full story, but I'm, I'm sure that it's the same kind of thing. They're just after our personal records and, and um, people who stayed there and, and stuff like that or, or have their name in the system in any way. I mean, that's that's all a lot of that stuff is. is um, and I, we, you know, we see that a lot of this with, like, uh, security being a huge focus for, for, for my job. Um, and just kind of seeing most of the time, you know, they're after – Personal information, credit cards, social security numbers, any anything that can be used for uh, fraud and other kind of malicious things, and that's usually what you'll see people go after, um, unless it's like a ransomware attack or something like that. Mm. Has anything like that ever happened to you? Personally, yeah, uh, only credit card stolen once. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, and it it uh, it flagged it, and my card got shut down, and I had no idea what was going on. I went to the bank, and they. They they recovered the money and so it was only like a couple hundred dollars so it wasn't like the end of the world but yeah um, it's still a frustrating process and it's a little uh, it feels a little invasive right? yeah a I think little... I think I accidentally uh, swiped a credit card at a gas station where they had one of those skimmers like those little yeah. devices and it's like back then I didn't know that you're supposed to like grab it and like shake it and make yeah. sure it's like actually part of the machine but like nowadays like with covid who wants to touch the gas machine like i don't want to touch it just the the gas station you know company needs to ensure that fraud is not being committed i don't know i've always wondered about stuff like that like maybe like the the gas station clerk is in on it or something because how (laughs) how how does that go like how does that end up being allowed but um I think that happened to me one time, and then I think another time I bought a a mini disc player on eBay. <laughs> and this guy, and this I don't know if this is fraud. This guy just had negative feedback, and I was like 13 years old and had no idea that you're not supposed to buy anything from anyone who has negative feedback. And uh, I, I gave some guy like $400 in Australia and never saw that mini disc player. It was a sad day. Yeah. What do, you mean? Hmm? what do you mean? So, I mean, that was one of the big reasons that that, um, that PayPal got to be such a big thing. Mm. So, having a another, you know, an independent company doing the transactions um, and running everything through that. If there was an instance of fraud on on eBay, and it was specifically developed for eBay, um, having that as a kind of fallback to be able to recover your money. Yeah. 
Well, I, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure I paid him through PayPal, but at the time, I think it wasn't done in such a way where they could get the money back. I think it was it was back in PayPal's infancy. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, this is back when mini-disc players were worth $400. <laughs> I'll never forget even I'll never forget buying it. Um, I specifically bought it because I wanted to uh, skate, like at a skate park, and go up ramps mm-hmm. and grind rails, and not have my CD player, at the time the CD player would like skip. When um upon impact, the music yep. would skip, and the 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 sell- selling point for a mini disc pl- mini disc player is that there would be no skipping. And uh, you know, not only did I throw four hundred dollars away because this guy stole it, but then like a month later, to add insult to injury, like the MP3 player came out, and then it's like no one gives a shit about mini disc players anymore anyway. So I'm like, all right, whatever. I guess it's fine. I didn't want that mini disc player anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry that this sorry that this interview is divulged into a conversation about mini disc players, but someone's got to talk about it. Yeah, I got something to say, and it's about mini disc players. Back in my day, we had little CDs, <laughs> and they could hold sixty whole minutes of music. Actually, I think they could hold more than that. What's that? It is crazy how far technology has come, and like not that long. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and I don't know the stuff that's really freaking me out is uh, Neuralink. Have you been keeping up with what Elon Musk is doing with the? They're putting like computer chips in yeah. the heads of pigs, and they're like controlling. They're like reading the pig's brain and like trying to find ways to like control the pig and send signals to the pig so that it'll do certain things and. Oh my god! I it's I think it's scary because it's like an omen. It's an omen on the wall. It's like the it's like the 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 beginning of something crazy, like really crazy. I don't know how far. Do you know how far off they are until like that'll that's actually like a viable, I guess, viable thing for for people. I don't but, know, but I mean, it it feels like it was only five years ago that people were saying self-driving cars are never going to be a thing. And then it's like, look, they're everywhere and they're already like being used, like kind of, I don't know how legal it is because you're supposed to keep your hands on the wheel. But I know a lot of people that are like drinking coffee and shaving and texting and their cars driving them unofficially. Like they're not supposed to be doing it, but people are doing it now. Yeah. That's that's really interesting too. Um, I mean, living in, in San Francisco, um, there's a, a ton of people that are working on kind of the next step to that and making like fully autonomous cars. So you have like uh, Aurora Innovations, um, Argo over in Pittsburgh, uh, Waymo, you know, all these, these these companies. And you see all these like self-driving cars in training, um, driving around, taking pictures and taking video and, and learning the cityscape and kind of training them to, to uh, train them to drive. Yeah. So it's something that, that was new when I came down here was all these cars with cameras strapped to them that said like self-driving car and training. Uh, and they're just, they're everywhere. And I think this technology is coming sooner than we think. Um, my roommate actually works for, for one of those companies. Oh. Uh, and he's, he's, he's like, he's a recruiter and, and, um, and, you know, recruiting some of the, the top minds in the industry to come do that stuff. So um, it sounds like it's, the industry is developing a lot faster than I think, I think we think. Mm. Um, and we're like autonomous cars and trucks, trucks especially, 
um, are not too far out for like normal everyday stuff. And I think it's interesting that like the pushback that I've heard in the media is like, well, what happens when a self-driving car kills somebody? That's going to be the end of it. And it's like, well, it's already like hundreds of thousands of people are killed every year by a, a human operated car. And it's like, where's the outrage for that? You know, like if we can somehow reduce that number, even by one, it's probably we're trending in the right direction. But then I, I remember hearing somebody say something like, um, like right now people fear self-driving cars, but in the future people will fear human driven cars, right? Because humans are going to be seen as more likely statistically to produce an error that could result in a crash, which is probably true. Like a machine is always going to be better than a human in, well, I mean, in, in most things that I, I, I would surmise, I mean, what do you think? I think that's accurate. It's just hard, it's hard to imagine a world where we don't have control over our vehicles. Yeah. And, and for right now, it is scary. But at the same time, like, I mean, there's plenty of things that I'd rather trust a robot to do than, than a person at this point, I think. Well, I mean, we, we would have control over the car in the sense that, like, you could take manual control over i guess if you needed to i think that's what would um pacify most people out there that are afraid i think maybe they just ignorant on the concept and they just think that the car is going to drive them everywhere and they're just going to be powerless they're just going to be in the back seat like in prison waiting to get to work or something like you you'll still probably be able to like just hold a wheel and be like nope i don't like what you're doing or stop yeah. hit hit the brakes yeah, I think that would have to be a uh, kind of important thing with, with that to keep people, or to, at least to ease people into it. Um, and then who knows, you know, 50 years later, you'd be like, oh, man, my, my grandpa still puts his hands on the wheel. He's so old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, back in my day, we used to do this thing called texting and driving, and it was highly illegal. <laughs> but everyone did it. You'd look left, you'd look right every car someone was on their smartphone and driving everyone knew it was dangerous and nobody cared <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be what old people are going to be saying but um i i think an interesting aspect about the self-driving car thing is like um the what it means for traffic that you don't have to own a car anymore. If if you can get picked up by a self-driving car and it takes you to work, why do you need a car in a parking lot for eight, for eight hours? Like it could be off picking up other people running other errands. Like it's basic. You've basically created public transit in five seater public transit times a million for your city. And like the thing, the concept of like parking garages and parking lots and parking spaces, like all of that is suddenly become less relevant, if irrelevant altogether. And I think it'd probably have a positive impact on traffic and, um, yeah. Interesting to think about. I've heard people talk about that before and how you like, you no longer really own, you would no longer really own your car, but, um, in the sense that you wouldn't, really need one if you just had you know like you said you could hail a ride like you would a lift 
um, to come and get you and, and just take you to wherever, and then it, it, it rips off. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if that's kind of the, the, the kind of final evolution of, of that. Plus, it would be better, uh, better for the environment, better for um, congestion, and uh, overall, I think, a, a positive step for humanity. But yeah. um, I guess, that's like I said, that's kind of the logical conclusion to uh, self-driving and electric cars and, and things like that. Yeah. So... Uh, here's here's a question. I'm thinking of some questions to ask you. As an yeah. IT consultant, do you ever find yourself acting as a consultant in your personal life? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yes, very much so. So, I mean, it, you know, friends and family and, and, you know, just even like what I'm doing, um, it, talking to them about, you know, what they should be doing and how they, you know, what products they should be buying or, or scaring the bejesus out of them with security stuff. Mm-hmm. It's mostly scaring the bejesus out of people with security stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you advocate for like, uh, like certain uh, browsers or antivirus software? Like, what do you mean when you say s- trying to scare them? I mean, I think every, everyone should be using a VPN. Like, a VPN. Yeah. Like, and it's the reason is because everything is monitored by the NSA. No, I mean, so you can use a VPN to um, uh, to subvert bad actors as well. So if people can't get a lock on your, your IP or your connection, it's harder to get into your computer, right? So having a, a fake IP address makes it harder to um, for someone on the, the Internet to get into your your machine mm. um, and, you know, get access to your personal data or whatever's, whatever's on your computer. Um, and then beyond that, having an antiviral on your, on your computer and, and doing everything you can to kind of look for signs of like phishing or, you know, any kind of malicious things that are, that are coming toward your computer. Um, yeah. But a lot of that, you know, starts with hooking up a VPN um, and making sure you have some kind of AV software installed on your computer. Um, well, doesn't because... Windows 10 has built-in antivirus software? Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably sufficient, right? Like, I've I've always had kind of an issue with Norton and those types of companies only because I've read articles and, like, Reddit users, they've reported that, like, people at those some, at those companies some of them like create the problem themselves like they'll create viruses that then they can like get rid of and i'm like i don't like that system <laughs> like i don't like that i mean obviously if the tool is helping people it's helping people but it's kind of i don't know it feels kind of dirty but um i guess window if you have windows 10 it it'll it's constantly updating its dictionary and scanning your system yeah, and Microsoft has been really um, making a lot of developments in their security platform. It used to be that you know you had Windows, so even at an enterprise level specifically, um, you know you had your your Windows software, um, and then you had to find another AV product on top of that, um, just because whatever Microsoft using was using may not have really fit the bill for for actually protecting your computer. But um, in the last few years, Microsoft has really, really stepped up um, and has started uh, putting out some really solid products. 
um, that they can just kind of bundle and combine with the rest of their their enterprise software. That customers can um, combine with the rest of their enterprise software um, and create a kind of full environment just out of their Microsoft licensing without having to um, look elsewhere. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I I I have been pretty impressed with a lot of things Microsoft has been doing lately. I actually just saw today somebody was taking apart um, a PS5, a Sony PS5, and an Xbox uh, Series X, and they were showing like what the process looks like to upgrade the hard drive if you want like additional storage for games and things like that and they were showing like oh for a sony ps5 you have to unscrew the bottom and find the port and plug it in ssd and like there's this whole like it's probably like five or six steps and then like for the xbox series x there's literally just like a port in the back and you just plug in you just push it in that's it yeah. it's like perfect and it's like i mean it's like it's a small thing but i think probably listening to the feedback of their users and like incorporating that into the things that the decision making is making a big, a big difference in how that, that company is being more positively received by the marketplace. Yeah. Apple versus windows, right. Or Apple versus, versus Microsoft too. Um, It's a lot easier to upgrade hardware on a, uh, a Windows machine nine times out of ten than it is. Uh, don't get uh, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! So I well, I used to work. I worked at the Apple store. I was I was a big fan in my early twenties, and I, um, I even was um I I built one of those uh, hackintoshes. Are you are you familiar with that concept? It's basically a you know a a computer that you build, but then you. Um, install a Macintosh operating system on top of that. And there's like a whole community of people on the internet that are all about doing that because it's like a third of the price of buying like an official metal titanium box from the Apple store. It's like a, like a $6,000 desktop at, at the Mac store is like $1,500 in computer parts. So a lot of people were doing that. Anyway, I, I use that for video production and you know that was fine with like final cut pro but then like um i ha- i was a fan of the iphone for a while but i just didn't like a lot of the business practices that surrounded that i, I think became more apparent to me like not being able to remove your battery so like when your battery dies the phone's kaput or like when a new phone would come out they would release like battery dr- like draining software or like they would they would push something I don't know, they put something in the software so that your battery drained quicker or something in the software so your phone ran slower, you know, just like, I don't know, it just felt kind of diabolical, like little things like that. And it started to bother me that um, I was helping to fund a company that did things like that. But I, but I mean, I don't know if, to be fair, I don't know if Samsung is really above any of those things anymore either. Yeah, I mean, obsolescence is like, that's kind of thing, right? With with a lot of like um, Apple computers, it's like, well, yeah, after you know a year and a half of my phone, it stops like it's not as fast, and it's not you know there shouldn't be any reason why it's slowed down so much. Um, and then to have the you know the latest and greatest come out, it's like, oh, those issues you're having with your phone, if you buy the new one, they're all going to go away. Like everything's so much better. So 
Yeah, that, I mean, they, they're just going to take a... When they say they're all going to go away, they mean like the features of the phone, like the aux port. It's like they're literally going to take things away and then sell them back to you for $50. But I tell you, Ted, my favorite thing about my phone... Uh, I had a Galaxy S4. My mm-hmm. favorite thing about this phone is that you could take... When the, when the battery died, you took the back of it off... And you took the battery out and popped a new, a new one in, and I would carry like two spare batteries in my backpack, and I just knew, I felt 100% confident that I could use my phone nonstop all day, all night, and not have to worry about finding like a port, a wall, an AC port to charge it. And those days are gone, and I hate I hate that. Like, wh- wh- why can't... I mean, I know the reason. It's because these companies, they want you to buy a new phone instead of replace your battery when the battery loses its juice, right? I I hate planned obsolescence. I hate it. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. I, um, I didn't realize that Samsung had, or, you know, all the, I guess the Android phones have done, had done away with that too because I, I did the same thing. I had a BlackBerry a long time ago. Ooh. Um, I, just, I just carried another battery around with me and it would die and just pop it in and we're good to go. I miss that. I miss those days. I mean, but it's, it's planned obsolescence. It's the same reason you can go to like your local Goodwill or Salvation Army and find a blender from the 1950s and it still works. But if you buy a blender off of Amazon, it's like within six months, it's going to kaput and smoke will come out, you know? <laughs> it's like they don't want it to last. They want us to keep consuming it's right. Yeah. It's just something, I mean, it's interesting to, to I guess, tie back to my, my job and profession and stuff. Um, one thing you will see people doing um, is just buying new batteries for laptops, right? So mm-hmm. um, you'll have a laptop and the battery will eventually die, but you can, you can typically buy replacement batteries for them. Um, so there's actually a pretty large market. I had a few customers. They would do, like most, most companies work on about a three-year refresh cycle for laptops. Um, so you'll have, a, they'll buy laptops and keep them in service for three years and then refresh them after that. But, um, some people will just keep them around a little longer than that and just pop new batteries on them for a little bit. Um, assuming that the rest of the, the hardware still worked. And, um, so I think that's a, that's one way I think that, that windows based laptops are, are staying ahead of that a little bit. I mean, there's still a degree of, uh, I guess planned obsolescence in some of that, but, um, it's a little more accessible because you can still upgrade your RAM, you can still upgrade um, your SSD drives, and and you can upgrade um, or replace batteries and stuff if if your if your computer is slowing down. Um, so I think that's that's an interesting way that I think at least computer manufacturers or people that make you know laptops and and desktops um, have stayed away from that a little bit more than like your phone companies or, or something that's a little more. Why do you think, why do you think that is? It's hard to say. I mean, I think Win- Windows has always been kind of this like free for all, right? I mean, not so much like Linux, but like Windows machines are usually the ones that are customizable. And so I don't think they have any, they don't have the, the same kind of, want to get away from that to still be, you know, that's kind of the leg up on, on, on Apple. A lot of the times is just like how many different things you can use with, with a, a windows laptop um, and how many different programs. And there's no, you know, anyone can make a program for, for windows. Again, it's not like Linux where it's like truly the wild west, but like uh, it's still like, there's some element of control over it. Yeah. Um, and it's, and I think it's less like, 
I don't want to say disposable, but your phones are definitely a little bit more disposable than um, than a you know a computer, or a laptop might be. Yeah, I I just, but I I feel like it didn't used to be that way. No, it, or like or it didn't. I customers didn't used to perceive it that way. Like I don't know. I had a phone. I probably must have kept it like six or seven years at one point. Like an old Nokia. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, those are indestructible as it is. It probably still works. Oh, what phone did I, I had a, what is it? A, a Razor. Who makes that phone? I forget. Uh, Motorola. Motor, Motorola Razor. That was a great phone. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had the, uh, the, the phone with the keyboard, the, the, oh my God, yeah. this is killing me. Uh, the sidekick yes the sidekick oh yeah i think i think the sidekick was my favorite non-touchscreen phone i just i it wasn't even the keyboard it was the fact that i could like press on the screen and it would flip flip open and so i had it down to where like as i pressed down on the screen i'd throw the phone in the air (laughs) and it would like spin in the air as it was opening and then i catch it and people would be like Those are like the cool phones to have too. Like, yeah, like the Razer was like the cool phone that came out because it was just something other than like a Nokia. And then you well, had the well. And the great thing about the Razer is like when you're angry at somebody and you want to hang up, you can slam it. It's like what you can't. What are you supposed to do with this? You can't slam it shut. Oh well, they now they have now they have uh, the Razer. They have these phones coming out now that are touchscreen that are that there's two of them, right? That they it folds up. But if you if you slam that together, you might waste a two thousand dollar phone. Right. I don't know if you want to do that. It's a little hard to like angrily hang up on someone with a uh, yeah one of these. Someone should invent an app. There, it probably already exists. Some kind of app that it's like the angry hang up app. And so like when you're pissed at somebody, you open up the angry hang up app and you press a button. And not only does it hang up on the person you're talking to, but it also adds in that sound that's like. <laughs> Just like that hang up sound. Just so they can really feel the impact of like, you know, what they've done. That's not an idea. I mean, I, I live in San Francisco. I could probably find someone to build it. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll be an angel investor in that idea. <laughs> <laughs> um well uh Ted, I appreciate you coming on coming on the show and talking to me about uh IT consulting and uh, share, sharing what you do and how yeah. how it's been going during COVID and all that. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about before we uh, call it quits? Yeah, I'm just trying to think of some. I mean, there's some interesting stuff. Like, I, I think just to kind of sum it up, like there's just a lot of a lot that goes on behind the scenes, and like, um, it's just always it's like I said, it's been fascinating to me to help customers through these journeys. Uh, and embracing new technologies that they might have not thought of before. Um, so that's another thing that's like we're seeing a lot of right now is is customers speeding up their timelines with adopting new technology, um, just to kind of accommodate their environments, right? So they didn't know that they needed a you know a, a virtual meeting system that was like that could work all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of companies are still pretty old school, believe it or not, um, as far as the way that they they meet and the way that they uh, collaborate. Mm. So, what did, to, what, did, what do they use? 
I mean, they'll be they'll still be using Skype or or, or whatever, uh, and they don't have like comp- they don't have the same kind of conferencing systems or, or whatnot. Helping them kind of find the new the step and trying to help them figure out how to license it, um, how to buy it, and you know what the the best thing for them is. Um, so it's really interesting to see, and you also I, I guess you also get an idea of you know where people are lagging behind in the industry. Um, before this, we thought that like cloud adoption was like the new big thing. Cloud ad- like cloud adoption and like DevOps and stuff like that um, were kind of the thing. And then we kind of stripped it back to basics here, um, and we're figuring out that like people are like we have no way to connect people to our internal software uh, if they're if they're not working you know if they're working remote. So helping people figure all that stuff out. Um, and it's just interesting because you're really I mean I've said this a million times but really kind of peeling the onion back on, on, on the industry and people's environments and figuring out where the gaps are. Um, and that's been a lot of my job is helping customers identify those gaps mm-hmm. uh, and figure out how to move them into a new space in a way that's like not only cost effective, um, but also like the easiest thing to, for them to do for their environment. Hmm. Well, that sounds like it's a really valuable service that you offer to these companies that are, um, a lot of times just kind of lost and looking f- to you for help. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think so. I mean, that's one of those, it's, it's, it's something I can, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm kind of just a, a technology sales guy. Right. Um, but like I enjoy that at the end of the day, I'm helping my customers move toward a more stable environment and helping that, helping them help their end users and, and, and things like that. So I always, you know, I always feel good about what I'm doing and what I'm selling and the way I'm helping my customers and, you know, helping them, helping them look good within their own organizations and stuff too. So um, definitely it's, it's nice to have a sales job where I don't feel like a used car salesman. Yeah. Uh, where like you feel like you're providing value and not just pushing a junker on someone. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, mostly, I mean, I, I maintain these relationships and they're people that I, you know, get close to and have, uh, you know, a real relationship with just outside of like, um, trying to sell them something, you know, you get to know them. They, you get to know the, about their what they're doing for vacations, their hobbies and interests, and um, who they like to play uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, as. Like Dragons. yeah. What character they play as? Yeah, right. I was a I was a wizard. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it's just it's it's interesting. Uh, you know, that's uh, I'm a very relationship based person, I guess. Uh, and also a pretty values-driven person too. So being able to kind of put those together in a sales role and help people out with their with their lives and um, you know with their with their jobs um, just makes it a uh, makes it all rewarding and um, you know help make helps it make a helps make it a, a fun career for me. That's awesome. So um, if there's anybody out there that potentially could be interested in your consulting, yeah. is there a way that they can reach out to you? Yeah. I mean, I'm on Facebook. Um, there'd probably be a good way. I can, I can toss up a, an email address or something in here. Let's see. Uh, is there a chat window? Yeah. What is your... Uh, just first name to Ted dot or sorry Spielman dot Ted at gmail dot com. Oh. Am 
like that. Can you see that? Uh, where's that coming up at? I don't know. I'm terrible at this. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I got it. I got it. I got it. Hold on. Let's see. Yep. Yeah, there you go. So email this man right there. I'm happy to happy to help you out and, and chat and um, whatever. Because like I said, I'm I'm super passionate about this. And, um, I can I can talk ad nauseum about about what I do and, and get into the weeds uh, pretty deep. A lot of it's it can be a little boring, so I don't want to. I, we could I mean John, I could sit here and talk to you for hours, but I think that would get boring for for you and, and the people. <laughs> I, I I mean personally I would love to just chat and shoot the shit but unfortunately or fortunately I have a uh, uh I'm a new father and I have a baby right. that I'm constantly um negotiating free time with my wife I'm saying like oh well just give me this amount of time to talk to Ted's Ted Spielman I mean I got to got to get this interview in she's like all right fine <laughs> But you know, it's a give and take right. kind of thing. But um, I will take the email address and uh, also post it in the comment section for the video. And uh, if there's any other like links you want to provide down there, if people want to get in touch with you, uh, we can do that. Okay. But I appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk to me. Uh, I hope that you continue to love uh, San Francisco. And if I ever come out there, I'll come visit you. Yeah, look out. It'll be fun. Yeah. Um, you can see this weird and beautiful city. <laughs> I I think one of the one of the memories I have of visiting San Francisco by car is I remember driving in and seeing that there was like a toll that was like eleven dollars just to cross a bridge and I was like, What the eleven dollars just to yeah. drive over this bridge? Yeah, you have to spend money <laughs> anytime you basically anytime you leave or enter the city you have to pay money. Yeah. Um, with the exception of like driving up north across the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh-huh. But you still got to get back into the city somehow unless you're planning on going like way around down to San Jose and coming back up. Which no so, one probably does, yeah. They get you coming and going. Yeah. <laughs> Just wait, they're going to have an oxygen task soon. Well, you know what they're talking about doing in Seattle is they're trying to do a pay-per-mile tax where like you're, you pay taxes to the city based on how many miles you drive. They're going to try to figure out how can we monitor car usage interesting that's 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 a thing that's coming if you live downtown it's not like you're driving more than a mile or two at a time anyway but I think yeah. the traffic is really what gets you there like when i lived in seattle my office was maybe a mile and a half from my apartment but it would take me 45 minutes to get home at the end of the day yeah so like, you can charge me for the mile like sure but i mean I'm i'm doing a lot more damage i think with that 45 minutes stuck stuck in traffic yeah um, i feel like a lot of things get me in this city besides traffic but yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay i mean there's, there's there's pros and cons to living anywhere yeah yeah i completely agree well uh thank you so much for having me on john i really appreciate it it was fun to yeah. talk about this and um yeah like you said uh hit me up on my email address i'm happy to, to have a conversation and um get someone else excited about about kind of the stuff i'm doing and then um, if you have anything else or follow-ups or, or anything you just like, you're, you know, you're just like, well, how does that work? Just feel free to, feel free to shoot me a, a message or whatever and we can 
continue our conversation at some point. Yeah. Ted knows. Ted knows the answer. <laughs> All right. Thanks, John. All right. Take care. Appreciate it.